everybody. Welcome back to the Choking Hazard Podcast. We've got a great episode planned for you today. And it's probably one of the more important episodes that we've ever done on the show. Today, we're sitting down with Aaron and Valerie from Submit the Stigma. Submit the Stigma is a nonprofit organization and awareness campaign within the Jiu-Jitsu community that promotes the education, discussion, and support for mental illness and those who are affected by it. So if you know anybody who might want to have a little bit more education or need some more education for yourself, this is a great episode planned for you today. Before we get started, don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're looking for more guests, athletes, coaches, much more discussion, don't forget to like and subscribe. We appreciate your support and we want to keep driving more content towards you guys. Today's episode has been sponsored by Spirit Leaf Waterdown, located at 64 Hamilton Street North in Waterdown, Ontario. If you're looking for Canada's top cannabis brand, look no further than Alex and his crew at Spirit Leaf Waterdown. If you're looking for CBD, THC, all sorts of different products, they're going to be able to help you out with the widest range in Canada as far as selection goes. Just remember to like them on Instagram and us on Instagram, and you're going to save money every time you shop there. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and we'll see you soon on the mats. Have a good one. Welcome back, everybody. We're back to the Stoking Hazard Podcast. We have a great guest here today. Uh, today we have Valerie and uh, wow. See, I already told you you're gonna fuck this up. And we totally left up, right? So, anyways, we have Aaron and Valerie from Submit the Sigma. We're truly honored to have them as guests today on the show because we want to talk about a lot of important topics, but we're also gonna have a good time in our conversation today. So, girls, thank you very much for joining the show today. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. We're very excited. Awesome. So like we've been trying to get this podcast together for a little bit. It's been obviously everybody's been all over the place, whether we've been training, shut down and lockdown. So like everybody's kind of like scattered, but finally we're able to get this together today to kind of talk about a bunch of different things. So like let's first like how has like training just in general been going for everybody? Because I mean, like everybody who had lockdowns, you were living in L.A. So you have a little bit different situation. How have things been going both of you guys? Um, for me, uh, whenever I'm in LA, I pretty much just train uh, kickboxing. So I train uh, at Dynamics MMA. So I mostly just do kickboxing and um, we do have jujitsu at the gym and whatnot. We were closed. We had another location that it was just outside, but that was more along lines of 2020. Um, and then by last year, we had kind of been able to open up a little more. Um, so it's been okay. And I know with Niagara, whenever I go train there, I train at Pasador, um, BJJ and, you know, it's been both in LA and Niagara because I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. I hear you with having that routine that you're used to. And then when that gets fucked up, it's kind of hard to, to keep up with it. I have been really spotty with my training since with the lockdowns and then just training in between them and then things getting busy. So um, there's just been a lot going on and I am looking forward to getting back in some sort of structured routine where I can train as often as I'd like to. Yeah. It's especially the last two years, it's been really difficult to do that, but um, just, you know, speaking of jujitsu, just kind of getting a background with both of you. So, you know, Aaron, Val, how did you both end up getting into Brazilian jujitsu originally? Like what's, what's kind of your origin stories? Um, Sorry. No, you go, Val. (laughs) You Um, go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) You hang up first. Um, 
<laughs> uh, mine starts with other martial arts. When my uh, brothers were young, they did karate and I wanted to do everything that my brothers did. But then after getting a black belt and that, I feel like that puts me in a good position to say that I don't think karate is the best option if I'm being polite. Um, I wanted something more full contact, more realistic and more applicable, I felt. So I just tried it out and I fell in love with it. Yeah, for me, um, I didn't have brothers, but my dad definitely treated me like I was a son. Um, and I always kind of roughhoused with the guys and whatnot. And I did no sports whatsoever, but I was really into hardcore music. So I used to go to hardcore shows and I used to be on this online forum I won't say which one, just in case people know what it is. And uh, I met a guy that was coming out to the 2008 Pans, um, which happens to be, used to be like in Carson, which is not too far from me, probably like in, less than an hour. And so he's like, oh, do you want to hang out while I'm there? And I said, yeah, sure. So he's like, I really want to see how my teammates are doing. Can we drive down there? And I said, yeah, sure. Like, let's go see your bro match thing. And it ended up being uh, really awesome. I saw some female matches. And from then on, like, I think, it was a year later that I stepped into a gym just because of like social anxiety. And like, I had like really bad acne and I wore a lot of makeup and I didn't want it to rub off on people. And I just had like every excuse imaginable until one day I just got the balls to walk in. Um, and then ever since that was 2009. So ever since then, I just sort of was like, this is my thing now and I'm sticking with it. Nice. Like, have you got, have you girls seen like, obviously the dramatic shift where like, obviously from even like training from like 2009, where like the females divisions maybe might have like one or two competitors in there, but now slowly, surely bit by bit, you've been slowly getting a lot more competitive, a lot more individuals involved in the sport. Have you girls been seeing that, especially throughout whether different places you've been training out of? Well, I'm in a hot spot. So I was really, really, really spoiled. Um, I found a gym that was near me and it happened to be Homolaba Halls, um, who is a legend. Uh, and then, you know, I go to Cobrinas, who's also a legend. And then I moved to New York and went and was a legend there with Marcelo Garcia. So I just sort of like sought out the best training once I just happened to walk in on one. Um, but I had no females in my gym and I remember just trying to train around and trying to find like more girls to, to roll with. But I think it made me more, more tough on the long run. Um, there are like, when I went to the pans in 2008, when I first saw it, it was a Brown and black belt. Um, so it was mixed, you know, and it's still mixed actually for, um, Abu Dhabi, they still mix Brown and black belts. However, I mean, nowadays, um, you know, IBJJF, all those main tournaments, they have huge numbers for both Brown and black belt, purple, blue, they added masters. I think it was like 2000. 13, I want to say that they added masters, maybe 2012. Um, and I think that that like, oh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. Like they, the, the divisions wouldn't fill up and it's like, okay, build it. And then you'll find out that half the women, the adult were actually the age of masters one, masters two, mm -hmm. they just didn't have an option. And so then they gave them that option. And there's so many camps. Um, Shamako has girls and geese, which is a huge encampment that they do, which is usually a one day thing. But even so, I just did um, last weekend um, in Portland, we had the first Nogi Summit, all female. I think they've been running it for like seven years and I was one of the instructors. So it was really awesome. So, I mean, there's still like a lot of firsts happening, but it's definitely, definitely like a female area now. There's a huge, huge um, growing group of, of women. And it's not because there's women's classes and that they're gonna only train with each other. 
um, there, there is obviously a good outlet, like for women's classes, but just for women to walk into a gym and feel comfortable. I feel like that's really common now. Yeah, Do I, you, what, go sorry, ahead. I just want to say that I, I completely agree. When I first competed, my first tournament ever, six months in the white belt, I was against the black belt because it was just one division <laughs> for all the women. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, no, if you see the video, it is so ridiculous. And of course I'm like, okay, pull guard. Okay, I'm gonna, I need, okay, grips. I'm gonna pull guard. And then I, I feel like what happened is I pulled guard with either one grip or one grip that wasn't even that good. Cause I just, she ended up in mount in like 0.7 seconds. And uh, it was atrocious, but I went for it. And that's what you had to do back then, but it's definitely improving hugely. And there's really big names that are great proponents and advocates for women in the sport. And um, you don't have to deal with being a white belt and then having a black belt be rude to you on top of it about how you lost. So wow. good times. Yeah, that, that was a really fun time. <laughs> back back in the old open open days, um, what what would you say like I for both of you just from your perspectives, uh, separate perspectives, like what do you think needs to be done to you know maybe get more females involved in the sport, maybe going into like next year and beyond, just based on I know it's come a, a very long way because you were both talking about, and I've even seen tournaments where it's been like Abu Dhabi Pro ten years ago used to be like purple brown black belt females, and now it's that's slowly changing or like even like the IBGGF was, you know, the world championship was brown and black belt combined. Like, what do you think needs to be done to maybe even take it a step further? Equal pay. <laughs> um, there's obviously uh, women want to compete um, and they want to feel that it's fair and they want to feel that they are treated as equals. And so a lot of the times women feel like we're just sort of like cast to the side, like, oh, you're not, you're never going to be the main attraction. You're never going to be the reason people watch. Um, my mom was mentioning um, last night with uh, Meatball Molly, how she had like the best fight of the night. Obviously that's MMA, but it's women bring better fights in my opinion. I mean, you see Mackenzie Dern versus Michelle Nicolini in the many times that they fought and it's like two squirrels going at it, but in a good way. And it's like, you just, you, you see so much action and there's so much like emotion behind it and passion. And I think that making that on the forefront would be important, but also just, again, like those events that pay, it's going to get women to seek out competition better. Cause I know a lot of men, I guess they do it recreationally too, but many want to be good at competition. They're going to seek out the, the sponsorships and the opportunity to dedicate their time and their time needs to be paid for and it needs to be uh, appreciated and respected. And so I think that women are, are almost there, um, but not quite. Um, and so I think just having more equal opportunity and the IBJJF will probably never do that. Um, and I, I'm very comfortable saying that uh, they don't really give a shit. And I think Abu Dhabi might maybe, but probably not because the, the pay is never going to be the same as men because they don't equate the women's matches as I guess as important as uh, men's matches. So I think money talks and I didn't get into this for money and a lot of people don't, but you need money to be able to train and dedicate your time to that, to be able to compete at the highest level. Yeah, no, it's so true because like, even like, as you were mentioning, like the fights from even from last night and like 
fights previously before you would see female divisions just go at it and put on Mm -hmm. way more entertaining fights because and again i don't know if it's something where they're trying to prove something more especially when you look at like the ufc for example where dana white didn't even want to entertain a women's division like call it like even six seven years ago where now it's almost one of the again you had amanda nunez who was like the top of the division the goat basically in that division cleaning up house and that was that everybody was rooting around her and then you had obviously ronda rousey before gino carano before and you had all these other athletes but like you said money speaks so like that's it's almost like women's grappling needs to find that that next and i want to say like gordon ryan or that next figure that's going to put that over the edge i don't know who that is but maybe that person's not out there yet but i think it eventually it will come down the road mm-hmm. true so it should be interesting, but I actually, especially when we looked at more, like obviously the, the pandemic, it's always had its effects on everybody. And we talk about mental health as a big issue throughout this entire thing. And you girls have something called submit the sick gun. So I really kind of want to talk to you what that program is and you know, how, where did that even come from? Where did it begin? What's kind of the uproot story of that? Um, I'll start um, because I created it, but Val has definitely made it what it is today. Um, I suffered a loss. My dad died by suicide in 2015. And so I always kind of put my life out there um, on the interwebs and just being a competitor. I mean, I had a blog ever since I was a white belt. So I always felt that because I, I knew that I was sort of, I'm not a pioneer, of course, but um, I felt like since I was in it for the long haul and I wanted to push and be more nonconformist and really push for equality, even in the beginning, um, I knew that my efforts at putting my own experiences out there were going to get women to be involved in that. So women were going to see and go, oh, cool. Like, so it's not just these like butch athletic girls. Like I was in Girl Scouts for 15 years. Um, I did nothing else. No, nothing physical, nothing like I never worked out anything. So when I found jujitsu, I was tep- very non athletic. Um, and so that was my viewpoint. And then I definitely struggled with my own mental health. Um, I didn't get diagnosed until I had started training jujitsu. So I grew up with undiagnosed ADHD, which I suffered, you know, a lot from that. Um, and just being misunderstood and not even, you know, understanding myself and generalized anxiety disorder, depression. And so high school was really fun for me. Um, I didn't have a place. I didn't have a group. I had nothing. Like I, I had maybe like, you know, hardcore shows. And again, that's a very male dominated area. So it was just like, I'd go in the mosh pit and like scream my lungs out just like everyone else, but it was not kind either. Um, and so jujitsu kind of gave me that empowerment. It gave me that, that leverage literally, right. To use my body in a way that I didn't think I could. And to be training with men on top of that and to like be choking men and dominating them, it felt really good. And just to go out there and compete and, and be, um, you know, a force just in general in life. So that kind of transferred over to me finding help for myself because you can't lie on the mats 
-hmm. you, whatever you are is going to come out. Right. So all of my anxiety came out, all of my ADHD came out, all my depressive thoughts, um, suicidal ideations, those types of things. Like I definitely battled those. And when you're fighting and especially when I put, you put the pressure on yourself to compete, that was really huge too. Cause if I lost, it was like, I was all or nothing. So putting all my eggs in one basket was really, really difficult if I lost, because I'm like, this is all that I, I do. I gave my best and it wasn't good enough. So a lot of things came to the surface. So, uh, when my dad died in 2015, I ended up, um, that later that year, I put a sign, um, on the podium, I, I brought up a sign that said, hashtag submit the stigma of mental illness. And I don't even remember how it came up. I just like submit the stigma. It just made sense because my dad would not get help because of the stigma. Um, a lot of people don't get help because of the stigma. Women don't do jujitsu because of the stigma, right? And how they have to be masculine, right? Their femininity is, is questioned. So all of these things sort of just combined. And I was working for um, Gracie Mag at the time. And so it was really important for me that, uh, you know, being already like a reporter, a voice, all of those things to make it heard. And so I had a lot of outlets to, due to my connections and I was able to put forth this campaign. And then um, I ended up making it a um, 50C3 uh, 503C um, nonprofit in the US, which you guys are probably like, what is that um, in Canada? But it's full nonprofit. And um, I'll let Val kind of take it from here because I really started it and I, I found people to support me, but it's Val that really made it what it is now with her expertise and experience. Thanks. I, uh, I just really appreciate that we've been able to work together on it. And I'm, I'm glad that you're happy with where it's going. Um, I essentially, the way I like to start this story is that I ran into a teammate that I had from when I used to live in Montreal at a tournament and I hadn't seen her in a long time and we started talking and she asked me, how are you? And fuck it, I decided to be honest. I said, I'm not good. Things are just not good. I'm not doing well. And we talked about that for a little bit. I shared some of my mental health challenges with her and she goes, hey, I know this girl, she holds signs. <laughs> I know what, hold on i know what can help you signs 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 like, all right so okay and then she elaborated and she told me about aaron and the sign that she would hold up on the podium and was like you got to talk to this girl so i sent her an email pretty sure just the first one even had my whole life story if you can yes. yeah <laughs> it was a novel it really was. And then we started exchanging emails back and forth and, and we just kind of clicked. And then not, I mean, not too long after I started being more like officially, I guess, involved, right? I just, I really wanted to help. I wanted to be part of it in any way. And then I got the opportunity when it was Nogi Pants to go to the Submit the Stigma seminar at Marcello's. That was the following day, right? It was yes. Then? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when Aaron and I met in person for the first time. Actually, we met at Nogi Pans the, the day prior. She ran up to me, said, hey, I missed you, gave me a hug, like, nice to meet you, and ran off. And like, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, was that that tornado that just attacked me? That was Aaron Hurley, I guess. And uh, then I got to meet her the next day. And yeah, just from there, I started helping more and more. One day I was like, yo, can I make an Instagram account? And uh, Aaron's like, um yeah, I probably wouldn't keep up with it. So go for it, like do your thing. And that became a 
place for our community that we're building around this mission of hashtag submit the stigma, a place for them to be really honest and vulnerable about what they've gone through. And if you see the comments, it's fucking amazing. Like people are so supportive of each other, people from, you know, different belt levels, different countries, different academies, whatever. I post somebody's story to feature. We do a feature every Monday. So I'll post it. And then all these people are like, wow, that's so brave. I feel less alone. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing. Like it's super dope. And uh, that account, I think just sort of made it more of like a place where people can find community a little bit because uh, before that happened super awesomely in the seminars, but they, I mean, they weren't happening all the time. So that really got people together. And then from there it just grew and we collaborated more and more and got like deeper into this. And, you know, we've, we're, we're really good friends and it's helped us work on the friendship too. Cause it's like, you got to assess what your needs are as a, well, not a business, but a charity. And then when your needs are as a friend and figure all that shit out, when you have to be like, yo, you said you'd do this by yesterday. Like what the fuck? And just, oh, that, 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 that sounds like me and Aaron on like <laughs> daily. Hey, hey fucker. Did you fucking do this already? You fucking fuck. <laughs> With love. So with, love. Me, with love, me and Aaron have very yeah. similar experiences. We we should share. I should screen cap some of the text messages to you guys. Where it's just <laughs> me and Aaron just going off on each other like every other day. Yeah, it's not easy. So we figured all that shit out too, and just going strong and trying to make big moves together. And we're. I mean, I'm super excited. I think we're we're on the right track here. Yeah. In all seriousness, though, do you think like jujitsu kind of attract? Like you're talking about like community and like you're using like you know jujitsu there's people say there's a jiu-jitsu community but like do you think it like that community is kind of attracting you know like maybe some of the people that have a lot of these mental health issues or do you think it's more you know mental health issues are kind of getting a, attracted to jiu-jitsu does that make any sense like is, is it like you know like the chicken and the egg thing like you're using yeah. jiu-jitsu to kind of remedy so and like use it as like therapy or i think that um I think that that's pretty apt. It's, it's, there it definitely is a connection. And in terms of the self-defense aspect of the sport, a lot of women who get to the point in their healing that they can do that will want to learn to defend themselves if they've been assaulted. So that will bring people with that idea in mind. This is a skill that I'll acquire. And then anybody who has, you know, or most people who have a mental health challenge or disorder or illness or, you know, whatever way you want to say a diagnosis, um, they are going to be told to be active and see people and be social and do all those things that we have no fucking energy for when we're depressed, but that's part of what will help us kind of get better. So then, you know, Hey, let's pick an activity. Jiu-Jitsu has been game, gaining more prominence and that martial art aspect of it definitely attracts people as well, I think. So you end up with people who are on the mats to work out their stuff and then they start realizing that it will help them work out their stuff but it also bring up stuff that needs to be worked out yeah just uh i think that people who live with mental illness whether they've been diagnosed or not are resilient people and i think that resilient people seek out challenge and jujitsu is a constant challenge it's not just like three moves that you can perfect it's not just um like I'm a black belt and I am still learning so much. Like people are like, Hey, do you play crab ride? I'm like, fuck no. Um, do you, I'm like, I like spider guard. They're like, yeah, but like, what about heel hooks? And I'm like, fuck them. I tap early to leg locks. 
Um, so like there's a, there's so many aspects of jujitsu that in terms of like the lifelong learning that is huge. And people with mental illness have to constantly learn about themselves. You know, I put myself in different situations and I may not know that, that that's a trigger, but it is, you know, and it's funny now because I'm like, I used to go to hardcore shows where it was like, there's blasting music and it's so loud and there's so many gross, sweaty people. And, um, you know, nowadays I'm like, ew, uh, and I don't like loud noises and things. I mean, obviously it's different when it's, there's consent. I think someone wants, um, I don't know, probably a meme. And it was like, what's the difference between like standing in the shower and like standing in the rain? Why don't people like the rain? It's like consent because you are planning to be wet in the shower, right? Like it's di completely I don't different. consent to this rain. I consent I to do this not. palm tree that's in the background right <laughs> yeah. now. This, this I is never, my only form of consent. LA does not consent to rain ever. Um, this is why we're in a drought. I think we just pray the rain away. Um, but then I, I definitely think that jujitsu is therapeutic. It is not therapy and people get that kind of confused. Um, so, you know, therapeutic means you have a social support system. There are goals that you can achieve big and small. There are challenges to overcome that are measurable, that there is something to constantly seek out. So whenever I teach my seminars, I always obviously teach like the jujitsu portion. And then I always kind of give this speech about submit the stigma about checking up on your training partners because there's a lot of people who uh have consistent training partners and when you see someone if val and i train together and i'm usually with her you know like monday wednesday friday nights and she's not there and didn't give me a heads up i'm gonna wonder bitch where are you like i need my training partner you know i don't like going with other people like i like drilling with you um and it can come from different ways you it could be like hey fucker right or it could be like, hey, I'm so worried about you. I didn't see you in class. Is everything okay? So it can be so many different levels, but check up on your training partners. And even if it's selfish, even if it's like, I need someone to armbar the shit out of, right? But at the same token, you wouldn't armbar your training partner to the point where their arm's gonna like crack in half, right? Because you, you want them to train another day. You want them to get better so they can make you better, but you also don't wanna put them out. And so, you know, you, you care about people because you don't want to shit on them and you want them to be there for you and you want that to be re like reciprocated. Um, so there's a lot, a lot that goes hand in hand. And I think my original goal for Submit the Stigma was to try to get psychologists and therapists to recommend jujitsu gyms and kind of create this alliance between the professional help and the jujitsu because like I said, like it's not therapy, but it's a great way to get into therapy. It's therapeutic. It works hand in hand. And I will always say that professional help is the best option. Um, and, and, you know, your training partners aren't your therapist and your, your uh, jujitsu coach is not your daddy. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen there, um, especially with old school thinking of like, this is my master, right? And oh, I have to do this and I have to do that. And because if I want to get good at jujitsu, they said that I've got to hop on one foot and tap my nose. So I'm going to do it, things like that. So there's a lot of things that could go wrong in jujitsu in terms of the, of the psychological aspect, but they're amazing, amazing, amazing qualities. So there's a blend, but um, professional help is always going to be the best option. Yeah, you made a very good distinction where you talk about therapy and therapeutic being two completely different things. Mm -hmm. 
And especially as you're kind of relating it back to, again, the old school mentality of old professors demanding certain things from students and obviously running into these other issues. Because we just had um, Rob from McDojo Life on recently for an episode, and we talked about that whole culty atmosphere that has been created through, and again, not just jujitsu, but other martial arts where, and it becomes these danger cesspools, basically, right? And so that's basically what it is. <laughs> yeah. And but when did you kind of like realize or like that idea like therapy and therapeutic are two completely different things was that something that you kind of like had to learn or like explain and go through the trials and error or oh my god yes um my okay let's put it this way I still uh am, am learning to not idolize people uh when I started working for Gracie Mag that was uh, an opportunity to learn that like our idols in jujitsu are not good people. Um, a lot of them having to interview them, being around them, whatnot. Um, they're great on the mats, but that doesn't make them good people. And I've always tried to make that distinction. Are there great people in jujitsu? Fuck yeah, of course. But a lot of the dudes that have gotten to the top, like are not great people. Um, and yet we idolize them as both. Like they're they're this great human being and they probably, you know, save children and kittens from fires when they're not training. And that's just not the case. Mm. And um, even in my black belt speech, uh, Cobrinha gave me my black belt and that was super, it wasn't super fresh, but it was two years after my dad died. And I definitely did the daddy thing. I said, you know, like I don't have a dad and I just, I, you kind of took that place and I've always wanted to make you proud. And that was a mistake. That was definitely a mistake on my behalf because who gives a fuck what he thinks about me as a human being? I should only be there for the jujitsu and I can learn lessons from him, right? That I can apply to life, but I needed to keep that separate. And only now have I learned how to do that with my coach, Anthony Hardonk at Dynamics. Um, and I just, and he understands that too. And I was very, very influenced by the rankings going through. I always say that when I say like when I was a blue belt or you know, obviously I was younger, but I say when I grew up, I grew up in jujitsu. I'm a really like late bloomer. I found jujitsu at 1920, but I, I'm still like learning so much. And I used jujitsu to learn about myself because nothing else gave me that opportunity. Like I said, I didn't, I wasn't in sports. I wasn't in all these other situations that other kids were able to learn about themselves. Like what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are their flaws? What, what, what are they good at? And I just never knew that until I found jujitsu. And one of the first questions I asked Hamala when he was like, oh yeah, you're so flexible. And I'm like, does that mean I'm going to be good at jujitsu? And he's like, I don't know, like if you want to be, you know, like what kind of question is that? And so I'm always looking for validation and things like that. And I just, so yeah, if, if in the wrong hands, jujitsu can definitely be not good for your mental health, but it is empowering and, and the actual jujitsu part, not necessarily the community. The community needs a lot of work, which is why Submit the Stigma exists. Um, it's not just a bunch of bros. It shouldn't be, you know, but, but I definitely went through a lot, but it was the jujitsu that helped me uh, learn. That was like the, the catalyst for my therapy. That was the, the, um, the platform, the outlet, all of those, those ideas of where I could find where I was strong, where I was weak, all those things. I mean, that works for everybody, but for me, especially not knowing that I had these issues until I was like later in life, like I, they all kind of just like combined <laughs> jujitsu and mental health. I, uh, you, you mentioned something 
sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I can see where you're coming from. Cause I think that jujitsu is kind of what prepared me to be open to therapy and sort of, you know, I'm putting myself in vul physically vulnerable situations all the time. And then I'm making a close knit group of friends. Cause I had some great people at that gym and that's forcing me to be open and vulnerable and have that trust and stuff. Whereas when I was in university, I went to see the free counselor at school, just the ones I lied to her the whole time about how like fucking amazing my life was. And my parents were amazing and everything was super good. And she's like, okay, why, why are you here then? And I never went back because I just couldn't trust her to actually say what I needed to say. And then jujitsu kind of gave me more confidence and opened me up and, and kind of seeing that I can overcome challenges. I was like, all right, if I can, you know, prevent a guy from breaking my arm, I can probably prevent a therapist from hurting my feelings. Like, you know, so it's, uh, it was just kind of like the, like you say, like the catalyst, like Aaron said, you know, the sort of thing that led up to being in the right place for that therapy to happen. Uh, so you, you mentioned something very important I want to ask you about and just touch on a little bit more. Like you said, you went to your counselor, you're like, Hey, like everything's cool and everything, but like you, you maybe had something underlying, like going on, like maybe not, maybe from your standpoint, but from maybe from your standpoint, but also maybe from other standpoints, why do you think there is like a big bit? Why, why do you think there's such a big barrier for, you know, a lot of people that it, maybe it's very difficult for them to talk about a lot of these things. Like, like what, uh, what advice would you give to somebody who maybe they have, you know, some underlying like mental health issues? Like, how do you, how do you discuss that with people? Like what, what's kind of like the process there? Yeah, it's, it's really, um, there's a lot of reasons that would make somebody closed off and just tell a whole bunch of fucking lies like I did and, uh, just not trust them for, so many reasons. I mean, for me, it was that I just wasn't comfortable being vulnerable. <clears throat> Excuse me, vulnerable. It made me feel weak. It made me feel like I just sucked and wasn't good enough uh, to have to express these things. And so a lot of that is stigma that people perpetuate in the way that they speak, in the way that they discuss mental health, in the way that they approach someone who might share something with them about mental health. So that stigma is a huge barrier to people seeking help. And there's a lot like you asked a lot that you can do to make that a little bit easier and i would say take it take it really slow go at your own pace and um like just make sure that you're comfortable every step of the way so if what you need to do is send a quick email to six different therapists and from their response start gauging like if the vibe is right for you then do that just do that and then take a break you know wait a couple days see what they say and then you know take the next step or you know whatever to get you in that chair talking to them it's really hard for a lot of people i um there's a lot of people in my life who would need therapy but don't don't believe in it or feel like it again it makes them weak it makes them broken and uh, they just have never sought help but i had to it it saved my life i have had um, three suicide attempts and one of them put me in a coma for about a week. And that was due to just hell. Like Aaron was saying, it can be really painful. And um, it just was hell to live with. And it came from all of this emotion and dysregularity from having borderline personality disorder as well as bipolar disorder. So I experienced highs sometimes. Sure, yeah, that felt fucking awesome. That was super good. But then I would crash and the depressive part of the cycle has always been much longer for me. So that's what was essentially nearly lethal for me. 
and seeking that support was not an option. However, I just want to say, I know that I'm privileged in saying that because there's so many people who don't have access to mental health care, who are on wait lists for years, if they can even afford it or afford the reduced price. Like it's so expensive and a lot of people don't have that privilege. So I'm, I'm just really grateful that I'm alive and I can be part of something like Submit the Stigma to use what I've been through to help others understand and help them feel less alone as opposed to it just being like a boohoo poor me story of something that happened to me. Yeah, I definitely want to add to that. Um, of course, everything that Val says is perfect. Um, but I, I think that being called crazy is, uh, at first, it's like, you know, people joke around and there's joking and you're like, aha, I'm the crazy one. Aha, I'm the weird one. Um, but when it, when you don't feel like you're enough, and I think a lot of things stem from that, like, when someone says that you're not enough of something, it doesn't even matter what it is. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not um, brave enough. You're not courageous enough. You're, or you make, you're just making excuses. Um, you just like talking a lot. You just like hearing the sound of your own voice. You know, there's all these things that people say that they don't realize can add up and hurt. And how am I supposed to believe that some counselor, some therapist, some person who's who I'm paying to listen to me, a lot of money, especially in the US, um, most of it's going to be out of pocket, at least 150, 200 bucks an hour. Mm. And it, it's, it's how, how am I supposed to believe that that person gives a shit about me to even care. Um, and so I always found that talking about it, right? Like you, you, you end the stigma by normalizing it. How do we normalize it? Well, I talk about my experiences. Val talking about her experiences is huge. Me talking about my experiences is huge. And I've gotten to the point where I don't give a shit if I'm crazy. I'm fucking crazy. I'm fucking crazy. And I, that's cool because I, I get to do really cool shit because of that. I get to teach seminars all around the world because I'm fucking crazy. You know, I've won tournaments and I've won gold at major tournaments at black belt because I'm fucking crazy. Um, if, if, if that's what crazy means, then I don't mind. Um, and being weird. And it, it also comes down to being authentic. And when you don't even know yourself, like, that's the thing. I always believe what other people said about me. Cause I had no idea who I was or what I wanted, or I felt like it changed with my mood. And so it's very hard to say, like, you stand up for yourself and say, no, this is what I like, because this is what I like. Or this is what I do because this is what I want to do. Um, and it's hard to do that when people are, are constantly judging. And even if you don't feel judged by other people, if you're like me, who's super critical, I am going to be really, really critical of myself. The voice in my head is the gnarliest voice I've ever heard in my life. And even though I can control it and I've learned that, you know, thought, the thoughts are not me, um, it's you know, that, 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 the tape recording that just goes over and over that you're fucking shit, uh, that happens. And especially when you lose at something, you fail at something, which is completely necessary. But when you experience those things, it's very hard not to take it out on yourself. And so counseling and therapy is really, really great, but there are really shit counselors out there. There are really shit therapists out there. And for the U S healthcare system, if you don't have any medical healthcare, like you're fucked, um, even with me, I have Medi-Cal, which is basically like the welfare of, of um, California's healthcare system. And it's very hard to find someone who's even taking clients. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so within, you have to get a referral from your primary and it's real easy to get a psychiatrist. And I am so lucky that I know that I take 40 milligrams of fluoxetine every day, that I have 300 milligrams of gabapentin and I can go to a new doctor and just tell him to write me that prescription. And I don't have to worry about not knowing what works for me. And I'm really grateful that I know that because if I had to go and switch doctors and find another psychiatrist who I'm probably paying out, you know, out the ass for through my insurance, they probably don't care too much. So also being your own advocate, that's really hard to do really, really hard. And like the healthcare system navigating it, my mom has been dealing with some chronic pain issues and we haven't figured out exactly what it is. And she's like, I've called this office. I need to get into this office. They never answer. So I called and I, they're like, well, we have this, this, um, you know, April something. I'm like, no, she's in a lot of pain. She needs to get in there right now. She needs to get in there now. So we have an appointment on Wednesday, you know? So it's like, you need to advocate for yourself, but sometimes that's really hard. So if you're having trouble, go to someone that you know actually gives a shit about you and is willing to go go and call and make appointments for you and advocate for you. Um, and that could be a family member. It could be a friend. It could be a training partner. I mean, there are people who, it doesn't take too much. And it's like, what they're doing is the work of a saint. And so- Advocating for yourself, but also having someone else advocate for you if you can't is really huge as well. I don't know a ton about like the American healthcare system, but I think it's a good question for like, for both of you is what would you like to see? Like, you know, like probably opening a massive can of worms here for like, let's say in the Canadian healthcare system, maybe something that's geared more towards, you know, people are suffering with mental health issues and maybe something in the US that they can do. Like, what are, what are some changes you, that you would both like to see there just from your standpoints, like, you know, growing up in the U.S., growing up in Canada, like something that wasn't really talked about, let's say even like 10 years ago, for example. Yeah, it's, there's so many things that you could change to the system up here. And that's something that I've done a lot of volunteering in mental health in direct support to the community, but I'd like to get involved a little bit more in like policy change and that kind of shit, because that's where you can affect changes that are going to trickle down and impact everybody and make it moving forward a more well-oiled machine that actually supports and helps people. But I don't know a ton about it to give you specifics. It's something like we need to cut down those wait lists. Like absolutely that needs to happen. But how does that happen? More providers, lower cost of providers. Do we need more funding? Like what's, what's the variables here? And I don't know all of that, but definitely um just everything needs to be more accessible and and it's how do you do that how much money do you need to to do that or you know that type of thing i definitely would love to see psychiatrists are covered by the by ohip but i would love to see psychologists be covered by ohip because that treatment can save somebody's life from you know just being nearly over the edge or being in the darkest place that you can imagine. And that's treatment, just like sewing up a bullet wound that won't stop pissing blood. Like it's, you know, you're saving someone's life. Mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to add for the U S part. Um, I think that when I grew up in the, the school system, it was like, here's a dare program. Drugs are bad. And it's like, <laughs> like, it's so drugs <laughs> you know, we, we, like, we all thought that like, we would constantly be offered free drugs. Um, that just <laughs> wasn't the case. Where, um, where, where was this program? I would, I would like to go. What's going on? Where are these free drugs that you speak of? It was of? like dare to say no. And it was like a big 
tiger person in a shirt that says, i remember that um i don't know aaron, if, yeah, grew, up in, aaron, grew, up, aaron grew up in the 80s no <laughs> i was born in the 80s um so you know that it didn't help and and um if if you like for example if a kid couldn't sit still which is still now what people think adhd is which is not and it's definitely not what female adhd is because females internalize more than men um it's oh it's that kid that just doesn't want to listen it's that kid that just can't handle authority or never got spanked enough when they were a kid like those comments in the report cards where they're like, if you applied yourself more. Mm -hmm. So I, when I got my ADHD diagnosis, by the way, my mom uh, was asked by the private school when I was in preschool, I was in preschool. That's like age four or five. They were like, you got to take her to get tested for ADD. So my mom went to my pediatrician and the dude was like literally the guy that knew me since I was born. And he said, she's not ADD. She's just smart. So of course I was in the gifted programs and all those things. Um, and then when I went and saw my therapist, um, when I was 21, 22, he said the exact same fucking thing. I said, do you think that I could have ADD or ADHD? And he's like, yeah, or, or you could just be smart. And it's like, what the fuck does that mean? Like I had, so, so I went back to all my report cards and I don't know how it is even on the East coast, but on the West coast, it would be you had your letter grade, you had your work habits column, and you had your uh, behavior column, okay? And it was either uh, U as an unsatisfactory, an S as satisfactory, or E as excellent. So obviously the best grade would be A-E-E, -E, right? Mm -hmm. I could have an A-E-U because it would just be, yeah, she does her work and stuff, but like she fucking talks too much. And so there's these, there's comments that the teachers could choose. They didn't write in themselves. They just chose like out of a drop down list and talks too much. So my parents would be like, shut your fucking mouth. And I'm like, well, I would get my stuff done. And then I'm literally like, can't, I just can't sit with my thoughts. Like I have to say my opinions and say my thoughts, or I've got to be like, Hey, Chelsea, what's going on over there? You need help? Like I, I couldn't stop. But if I had known that, if I, if I had known that it wasn't me and I wasn't at fault, that it was just, it was just a disorder that. I mean, yeah, it's partly me, but I mean, if I, if I knew that that was the case, I could have gotten help earlier or my parents could have taken me, but they didn't because they had a bad idea of psychologists and therapists and whatnot. So if schools paid more attention and were a little bit more sympathetic, I guess, to understanding that people come from different backgrounds and people come from like horrible, horrible situations, but they're there at school. Um, you don't know their home life. You don't know their personal life. You don't know what illnesses that they have, but just being open to understanding that these kids might have something that was actually genetic that was, you know, passed down from their lineage of anxiety and all these things. So recognizing that, and it's a good segue just because we're, we're building a program, Val and I, to make gyms more mental health conscious. So kind of in that respect is making sure that owners and gyms and coaches and, te and teachers of jujitsu are aware of these types of signs that are capable of uh, showing themselves in such a challenging area on the mat, right? You're putting yourself in vulnerable situations. These things are going to come out. And so we've, we've created a program and Val's written the program to be able to identify 
things that might be wrong and, and just the right way to go about it. Like you're not a therapist, you're not going to change someone uh, or, you know, but you might be that avenue to say, Hey, maybe you should go seek help or is everything okay? I'm worried about you. Just those standard things that just being a good fucking human being makes you and, and seeing that jujitsu is such a crazy environment um, for like sparring and all those things. And so many things could go wrong. If you could just recognize the signs, I mean, imagine how much healthy you could be. And I think that so much of it can just all kind of tether back to the stigma and how combating it is talking about it is the biggest thing that you can, you can literally save a life by just talking about it. And so that's what we need people to do within the jujitsu bubble, whether that's the gym or the tournament or whatever, we need people to be able to do that in that environment so that they can actually ask for the help when they need it. And people are there who know how to support them in an empathetic way and aren't just going to be like, well, rub some dirt in it, like get back out there, do another fucking round. Why are you resting? And understanding why um, everybody is like Aaron is saying is coming at it from with something different in their baggage. And you have to be able to respect that. So talking about it is just kind of the foundation of like all the other shit that keeps this combating stigma going. And you just have to be honest, just brutally honest. And Erin is so good for that. And that's part of what she's known for with a lot of people who just love to follow her and learn from her. And um, you just gotta be fucking honest and not worry about making people uncomfortable if you're saying the truth and not worry about people being shocked or awkward or not knowing how to respond. They'll fucking learn. Like there's this guy that I trained with, I won't um, name names, but I didn't know him that well when we were training that one night and he grabbed a, a sleeve grip and my sleeve went up my arm and he saw the just plethora of scars on my on my forearms and he looks at me and he goes why did you try to kill yourself or something and I was like motherfucker I didn't need this tonight so I'm like yeah yeah like what about it do you have a question because you want to understand better do you want me to talk about it because you want to support me or are you just going to fucking gawk and you think it's like you're like morbidly curious and making fun of it at the same time, you know? So the more we talk about it, the less there would be incidents like that. Because if that's the type of train of training partner I knew I had, would I ever fucking go to that guy if I'm like, yo, I'm really not feeling good. I think I need to see a psychiatrist. No fucking way. That's not the guy I would talk to. Yeah, no, you, you girls have laid out some like important and very heavy things today. So I think like when we, what's like, my question really is like, like, how do you, what's the next step? Like, what's the main, like, how do you build your goals for like getting it into every gym to have these conversations? So like, is it getting more programming out there? Is it running more seminars? Is it just in, um, sorry, uh, teaching more people about their techniques and programs that you have and getting it out there? Like what's kind of the next steps moving forward? I think it's blending. Um, you, I can't say like, this is a mental health seminar, come to it. They're going to be like, oh. Uh, but if I say this is a jujitsu seminar with Kyle uh, Teha and Hamala Bahal and Clark Gracie, and there happens to also be some mental health in there, um, people are like, fuck yeah, sign me up. And these are, that, that did happen. That was the first seminar. Um, also Abraham Marte, Gianni Grippo and Christina Barlon. So it was this huge lineup and people came because they wanted to learn from them. And I also had a representative um, from the National Alliance on Mental Illness kind of speak about mental illness and, and why they were there um, and why they existed. And so I just think that 
it's making it cool. Um, because unfortunately, in a lot of things in the jujitsu community, the things that get popular are the douchebags and the machismo and the assholes and the people who flaunt and all those things that are the opposite of what good mental health is, or what we could say is mental wellness. Those people are the ones that need to go to fucking therapy. Uh, I won't name names, but I imagine you actually thought about some people, uh, in your head when I said that, um, and so we are the opposite of those people. And so I did it through my own personal uh, like journey of, hey, I did this despite being like peeing my pants because I'm so fucking anxious and nervous before I competed. Um, I you know, accomplished this despite having lack of focus and um, you know, having depressive episodes because I wasn't training as much as I thought I should. Um, and so by living my truth, I've been able to sort of get in through people's heads and being like, okay, so even though I have this condition, it's not a limitation. Um, and so that works for people who have diagnoses, but for people who don't, I mean, everyone has competitive anxiety. Like one of the biggest things is like, how do I compete at my best without feeling like I'm going to have a panic attack? because there's so much pressure. There's so much like, and at first it's not that bad because you think, all right, well, what if my teammates disown me? And it's kind of easy to see if they don't, you lose. And they're like, dude, yeah, that was awesome. You, you'll get out there, you know? Cause yeah, you have supportive people in your, in your gym, but then you get up to like blue belt and you're like, okay, well maybe I should win. Cause I'm like a seasoned blue belt. Then you get to purple belt. And it's like, I should know my shit by now. Then brown belt. Now get to black belt and there's no like, can we do the beginner black belt division? No, you just get thrown to the wolves. And if you've been consistently high, like high level at each belt level, and then you jump in a black belt, they're expecting you to do well. You expect yourself to do well. Your training partners, your coaches expect you to do well. But if you shit the bed because you're nervous, you're fucked. Like you're never going to live up to your potential. And I've had to face that a lot a lot as a, as a jujitsu black belt and, and just as a competitor in general. And so um, a lot of people feel those things. And so I think that it's important because I mean, people knowing that I can still accomplish things despite, I mean, that that's everything. So what we've been wanting to do is getting more of those bigger names to come out and tell their story, just as we've had these, you know, quote unquote, nobodies, um, which is what I used to call people who didn't compete. Um, because I was a snob, um, I think that getting those stories out and, and showing people that like you can be vulnerable and you can be super tough and super badass and super strong at the same time, that vulnerability is strength, um, that authenticity is strength. You don't have to put on a persona. You don't have to take pictures in front of cars that aren't yours and like pay, you know, pay attention to how many followers you have, those types of things. So infiltrating that group of people who look up to those assholes and kind of being like, look, that's not really the way. This is the way of being a good person and being good at jujitsu because maybe you haven't seen that before, but it exists, you know? I think that's one person that I've noticed recently was I think Andrew Wilch, if you follow him from yes. like Daisy Fresh, he's been on, he's been doing like the car rants, which I think are tremendous, but he was talking about like his own like struggles with like mental health. He's saying like he's bipolar, he's got all all sorts of things that have been like diagnosed with him is is that somebody like maybe like maybe in the next step like reaching out to more athletes that maybe have these 
issues and getting them to, to talk about it more freely? I uh, reached out to him actually. And I think I came at it of like, almost like I'm some random person and can you like write your life story for me? I didn't really <laughs> like get to know him. He was actually supposed to come out to um, LA to train at one of their affiliates out here like this week, but he had to cancel. So I was going to sort of just like creep up and like get to know him that way. Um, but yeah, he's definitely a person that I had, I had thought of. Um, also like Gary Tonin, who doesn't have the greatest reputation because he likes them titties and stuff. Um, but he has spoken about his ADHD and how training has helped him. And one championship made a video on that. And so he's obviously willing to speak about that. And whether you agree or not, ADHD is a mental health disorder. Um, and so people don't like to think of it as that because they're like, no, 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 like we're all a little ADHD, you know? Um, and it's more of like a socially okay, um, uh, socially acceptable, um, I guess, disorder to have, like that's easier for people to stomach, but, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of people out there that I could definitely reach out to. But again, especially if they have an existing persona, like it tends to be a little bit hard. And I, and I don't want someone to speak out just because I asked them to either. Cause obviously that wouldn't really be too authentic, but, um, the Musumechis, Tammy has written wonderful things about her depression and anxiety as well years ago for Gracie Mag. Um, so, I mean, there are people out there. I just need to find them. <laughs> mm. No, like what you mentioned, like is all about them being authentic and bringing the real them rather than this fake show of, okay, I'm just going to do this because of X. Right. And I think that's important too. And it's finding the right individuals to create like push that message for you more than anything because this is the thing that you've been talking about for so long and again is you want the right individuals you want authenticity you want honesty you want all the things that are heavy with those individuals and what they're going to bring because that's what the impact's going to be exactly i think that um there you can also pull that out of someone because there's i'm sure there's a ton of people out there that if we were to be the platform that helps them learn the words and the language to talk about what's going on with them or just to be like oh hey that shit that i feel when xyz happens that's that's a mental health concern like i didn't know that and having the language and the education to know that that's a thing that exists it's not your fault it happens to other people in some cases there's names for it when you get a diagnosis and it's just it's not that you're a broken horrible person and you gotta you know fucking try harder it's just that something is literally going on with you. And sometimes we don't have the words to express that. So providing them with that education in a way that shows, even if you have to show like the benefits of being more mental health conscious and, and leaving behind that sort of macho persona, if, um, you, you know, if that feels like the move that's going to get them more followers or whatever, like, I don't fucking care why you do it. Eventually, if you do it enough, you'll start realizing that that's like Aaron is saying, that's how you're a good person and, and it'll like grow on you. So some people just need to be educated a little bit. So kind of like, um, as we kind of move on, like, how's let's like what's the next next step coming up like in the next little bit like do we have like a seminar planned is there like a training program that people can obviously reach out to and see how they can get that into their club like what are some resources that anybody who's listening right now they can go okay hey i'm interested in this i want to put this in my club or i want to have some the training to understand how this is what can they do next i would say um Definitely start by subscribing on our website to get the newsletters as we continue to roll out 
you know, programs and if there are events that will be happening, that's all going to be on there. I think we definitely are both excited to have in-person events back and um, try to get a few of those set up. We also have um, an ambassador program. So the ambassadors that we've accepted onto our team, part of what their responsibility is, is doing one event per year. So there's going to be those coming up now that we've set up that program and uh, just keeping in touch. People can reach out, you know, there's Aaron at submitthestigma.org and Valerie at submitthestigma.org and the Instagram and the Facebook. And, you know, there's just a lot of ways to get in touch with us. And we're always happy to, you know, you're not going to get an automated reply. Like we're always happy to chat and let you know what's up and what might be a good fit for you and get you whatever information you need. Yeah. I mean, even my personal account, um, on my Instagram, like people have reached out to me. I, you know, now that I'm teaching seminars again, I can, like I said, like I always end my seminars with sort of like a, hey, look at your training partners and really connect with them or just look out for them because that's the easiest way to implement it. Like those small, tiny steps, things that people are technically already doing, but not realizing that that's actually mental health related. Um, and just getting the idea that mental wellness is equal, equal to physical, be like physical wellness. Um, and I know there's a lot of guys that don't go to the doctor because they're like, I don't want to be told that I have to take time off the mats because I'm not going to do it anyways. Um, and so that is also a barrier too, like getting your competitors to actually go to like urgent care or to go to the doctor to be like, yo, like you should probably get that checked out because you might need surgery. They're like, no, no, I'll just wait till it rips and like just compete without an ACL. Like those are, those are things that people do. And so imagine being like, Hey, you're sad. You should probably talk to someone. They're like, fuck off. So there's a lot of um, barriers that we have already um, within the community, but there's a lot of people that are coming through because we've sort of raised our hand and been like, who here has been victimized by their own mental health? And people are like me. And then they're like, oh, well, I'm a psychologist or I'm a social worker or I do this or I do that. And it's like, hell yeah, we could use your support. So, you know, Val and I are not like we're both right now. Um, you know, she's starting her grad school. I'm in grad school, sports psychology for social work for her, right? Clinical social work. Yeah. And so um, we're going to be mental health professionals in, in one way or another. And we will continue to do the work that we're already doing, but adding that all of that knowledge from other people who have already been in that clinical world and then blending the two is really key. So I think that we have so much to do and we're kind of like, holy shit. But at the same time, there's a lot that's been done. So we have to remind ourselves that. And the program, like I said, with you know teaching people to be more mental health conscious is going to be um, important. And you know, with my networking that I've had and like I used to work for Flow Grappling, Gracie Mag, I'm sure that I can sort of get it into those areas of like, hey, you know, if you need something, definitely check it out because Flow Grappling might release something about Daisy Fresh. Um, and then at the end, you know, Andrew is going to be like, oh, by the way, I've actually looked into my own mental health and they're like, oh, he's cool. He did that. I can do that too. You know, just things like that, or even just ads. Like I would love to put ads out um, and just normalizing it right so instead of just seeing like bjj fanatics new dvd like why not bjj fanatics <laughs> submit the stigma you know so just sort of getting it to that equal level of like coolness is sort of my my goal whereas you know val is more like of the 
principles of actual clinical mental health and bringing that education out, right? So I like to entertain more than educate and, um, you know, vows more like educate more than entertain. And the two of us work really well together because of that. So we're looking forward to just seeing how people react to the initial, we already have people interested. So then getting some testimonials off of that and then word of mouth. So I think that it'll really, it'll really explode, hopefully. Yeah, I'm really stoked for the program to be 100% done so we can start rolling it out. It's people should definitely keep in touch for that. It's gonna be super cool. No, absolutely. And again, like if there's anything that obviously us on the podcast can obviously push towards, please let us know because we definitely want to be, again, want to help educate as much as we can. Again, like we talked about it, it's a huge issue. It's heavy. Like you guys shared some really good stories with us and we do appreciate that. And we want to make sure that obviously we're doing our part as well as a broadcast to make sure we're getting that out to people. And also Aaron wants to teach his uh, spazzing uh, toehold seminar tour coming soon. <laughs> Cement the stigma. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think Aaron has any mental health issues for me knowing him. He's just a dick. <laughs> it's just a very, day. Very deep down every time every time I, I every time i just get like a little bit of something on him he just dives on my foot just because he's a dick nice i like that that's that's how you win and winning is all that matters this winning. she gets it <laughs> see aaron's think alike that's what it is exactly <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it would be, Aaron, it would be an honor for me and you to set back jujitsu 20 years by me and you teaching a seminar together. Yeah. <laughs> like, we thought it was going to be a really good one, but nope, nope, nope. Well, like, we're just like, not we had like 100 anyone. people for the seminar, and where did everybody go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Well, Aaron Ballard, I want to thank you very much for jumping on the show today. It's been an awesome conversation. We really do appreciate it. Um, before we take off, are there any final thoughts or things you guys want to sh shout out to our audience before we leave? Yeah. Submitthestigma.org is our website. You can sign up for the newsletter there. You can see the stories on the Instagram, Submit the Stigma. And if you want to just look up everything Submit the Stigma, hashtag Submit the Stigma, that's why it is the way it is. I mean, I've, I've registered it that way. There is a hashtag in there. It is meant to be shared. It is meant to be talked about. It is meant to be a connection for, for a lot of people. Um, we have patches for sale, which reminds me, I have to update the website. And um, so we have patches for sale. We've always had, and I want to be making, you know, rash guards. We have some geese through cryo kimonos that we, there's still some left. So we did a, we did socks. a, let's get a hands up for who would wear some of the same socks, right? Socks. I want socks and things. I know you do. I know oh. you do. <laughs> so if anyone has like a good yeah. jump on manufacturing socks, I want to know. Because I'm big about fucking on socks for like weeks now, months. I mean, I, I, I been... usually get I usually get message from some guy in Pakistan at least like once a week. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty socks? sure they could probably help, help you out in some fashion. Well, no, if you, you recommend him, Mike, you know, if you recommend him, may as well. Hello, hello, friend. Do you? <laughs> I I am baker of ghee yes. stuff and me me you pay me now <laughs> no i will definitely pay him if he gives me socks we we actually do have a guy because we we talked to the guy who owns epic rolls and he talked all he has a, a apparel company so why don't we put you in touch with him so, thank you that would be amazing 
he's based in the U.S. anyway, so it might be a better uh, spot for yeah. you. Does he like socks? I am. He no. does now. <laughs> the thing about it is everyone needs socks. Yeah. And everyone, Ooh. it's like, if you were like, hmm, I don't want to spend too much money. I want to stay within a smaller price point. Socks. Yeah. Gee, I don't know what to get someone for a present. Socks. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of genius. Socks. It's legit. Erin, uh, you should try that with your wife. You know, hey, I should get uh, her something. Socks. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to do. Socks. This is a great Good anniversary luck. gift. I'll, I'll tell you what, Mike. You try it first. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> uh, you, you, you first, Erin. <laughs> awesome. Ladies, it's been an awesome time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll, we'll definitely be in touch and we'll definitely push something out, whatever you guys got coming down the line. Thank you so much. This is really cool. Thank you so much. All right, bye everybody. Thanks for coming on.